0: (laughs) So, the teaching mode just comes natural. (laughs) So, you always recap. (laughs) Right? (laughs) Just the teaching mode. But, yes, we will progress. So, where is progression? I think the first hour was, in a sense, progression too. It was not just recap, right? But I wanted to emphasize more strongly than I did yesterday. Because yesterday when I left, I had the impression that the mood was a bit somber. And I do understand that feeling. I do understand it very well. Because if you immerse yourself in reading these books and seeing the churches and experience some of the things I'm talking against, you do get the sense of despondency at times. I do sympathize with that. But I wanted to bring out the point that we should be considering ourselves as the most blessed people on planet Earth, because we know the Savior, right? Amen. He chose us, He called us out of the world. Galatians 1, out of a corrupt and lost world, He called us to be His, his people, and thus, we shouldn't be despondent. We shouldn't despair. And we have a wonderful message. We have the best message to proclaim, which exists. I am so blessed to be able to expound a the word. There is no other work like it. We can proclaim a gospel, and it's a joy. Because we can point to a perfect Savior who can save to the uttermost. Hebrew, right? Message of Hebrew. He can save to the uttermost. He can save perfectly. I know where I'm going. Do you know it too? I hope you know it too. And if you don't, you better make sure before that day is over, you better make sure to know that you are going to heaven. And where is the cross? and we will progress to that point where's the cross which points points us in the right direction. Let's go through these two statements in regards to what dominionism is about. Once we get through these next two slides we will come to the point I will stress very heavily and in some ways I have already done some preliminary work in these two earlier sessions. Because dominionism, more than anything else, is characterized by by bypassing the cross. We will come to that slide once we go through the next two two slides. But let's just look at the next description, basic premise of dominionism. And I take this out of a book. Vengeance is Ours by L. Dagger. He wrote against dominionism. But he did, he did define what he means by dominionism. And this is my resource. The basic premise of dominion theology is that when Adam sinned, not only did man lose dominion over the earth, but God also lost control of the earth to Satan. Okay, once again, a red flag should go up all over the place in our circle, right? Why did God lose control? As I said, I did already some preliminary work. You know now where I stand. God did not lose control. God still has all power in His hands, right? He's called the all-powerful, right? He did not lose control. Since that time, some say God has been on the outside looking in, searching for a common people who will be his extension or expression in the earth to take dominion back from Satan. According to the Dominionist interpretation, this is the meaning of the Great Commission. The meaning of the Great Commission. This is what you are supposed to do. Take control away from Satan and pass it on back to God because supposedly he, he has lost control it's your job to help God out God has a problem and you can help God this is exactly what I'm saying here or what the dominists proclaim you can help God out because he has a problem and thankfully he has you put in place so that he can get control back from Satan. Yes, it, it seems laughable to us, right? But just look down the road. I don't know wherever these churches are, but maybe you, you have to go and look down that road. I do not know. But people flock to these churches, listening to that message being proclaimed. And it's utterly popular. Enticing. Exciting. If a pastor tells you in so many words, obviously he doesn't say it using these words necessarily. He sugarcoats this, this message, right? But this is the underlying meaning of whatever he says. God must be a lucky God to have you. Can you see how he strokes our ego? How pride swells up in our hearts. How good I feel all of a sudden. Right? What is the message which we find in the Bible? He who wants to follow me, deny himself and take up your cross daily. This is the message. If you read the Bible, this is the message you read in the Bible. Nothing else. Deny yourself. Follow me and I will make you fishes of men. It's very serious business. And this is why many of the churches are just very small assemblies. When I go to Switzerland, we meet in business rooms and, and offices because the, the groups are so small I can't afford anything else and I have been preaching in one church and I could recite quite a number of other examples like that I have been preaching in that church for 10 years just whenever I am in close proximity to that particular city they invite me and I preach and the group is always the same <laughs> I have 10 people sitting in front of me perhaps 15 for 10 years and for probably even more than 10 years. And they tell me about all these pictures as well, several hundred uh, people in attendance. They're talking about Switzerland. Around that little congregation, right? And they have the people come to them. And here's the reason why. Because they stroke, the pastor stroke, the ego of the people in attendance. The moment you start talking about self-denial people are flying outside. Running outside, right? However, if God brings them, if the Spirit of God convicts us, people are coming and listening to the words. Listening to the voice of Jesus. He who knows me listens to my voice, right? John 10. My sheep know me, and may follow me, and may know my voice, and so on and so forth. And God still has his remnant. So don't listen to the dominionists. My task here is to educate you, to teach you, to instruct you in regards to the message which I put out. So the more when you hear it, a red flag should go up. Right? This is my task. And once you know the basic message, it's very, very, very easy to pick up on that message. The moment you know it. Sometimes like, like these pictures, and you look at it, and you see an old woman's face. Right? I don't know if you have that yes. here in Australia as well. You see uh, the first glance At that picture you see your old woman's face and then you look closer and closer and all of a sudden you see a young woman appear, right? Same picture. I mean, this is really what I'm doing here. You came to uh, the mini-conference just seeing the old woman's face. When you leave, I hope you will see the young young woman. As an analogy, obviously, I could put it the other way around you see the young women and all of a sudden you see an old woman's face (laughs) so what is our responsibility I don't know you all most of you and I know Pastor Reynolds just for a few days and his lovely wife so I'm not really talking about you necessarily because I don't know you what is your responsibility what does God tell us in regards to the situation you might find yourself in being a member of a church like that? Flee. Flee. Run for your life. They are trying to entice you, catch you, and ultimately destroy your faith. This will be the ultimate outcome. So what do you have to do? You have to Run. And it will will be uncomfortable to you. We have been, as a family, have been running from a number of churches. Even a church I was the pastor of. Right? You run and you lose your income. But you have to. I, I was asked to be a pastor of a, as I was told, most conservative Baptist church in town. In that city in Germany, Has quite a number of other Baptist churches. Has the most Baptists in one city in all of Germany, proportionately speaking. (laughs) And I was called to be the pastor of the oldest, most established, as I was told, the most conservative Baptist church in town existed for more than a hundred years. I had just celebrated the hundredth year anniversary. And when I arrived an old man came up to me, whispering in my ear, you know what's going to happen here. They will tell you what you have to preach. Right? Don't give in. That's all he said. And he disappeared. I, thought, I was a bit naive. This was my first church. So I was thinking about, well, all I want to do is to preach from the Bible. That's all I want to do. I don't want to do anything else, right? I don't get any problems doing that. If I, this is my desire. This is my goal. My objective here. If I do all... If I just do that, no one will object. <laughs> so I thought... right? Being naive, being still a bit of a, on the young side, eh? no experience. Well, it didn't take long. The first week was not yet <laughs> over. I'm not lying. The first... My first week was not over. We had not yet unpacked our suitcases. (laughs) when an older man approached me and said, I can't tell you all the story, but basically he told me I have to do something which I thought is totally unbiblical. I said, I'm not going to do it. You are going to do it. End of discussion. I said, no, I'm not going to do it. Yes, you will. No, I won't. Yes, you will. Well, you need to to know a little bit about German (laughs) culture. I don't know if Rana has already told you a little bit about Germans. not sometimes not the most easy to get along. (laughs) They can be a bit on the stubborn side. (laughs) And sometimes more stubborn than you would wish them to be. (laughs) So you do it. No, I don't. You do it. (laughs) Okay, well, eventually, they they called all the elders in. Okay, the whole cavalry came in. And all of them said, yes, you do. No, I don't. And then that head elder was just... I still see the dark red color in his face. He was just very livid, he said. And basically talked at the top of his voice. You will do it. If you don't, you know what's going to happen. We will make hell on earth for you. As long as you are the pastor of this church, this is what you will have to experience. Hell on earth. My first week was not yet over. I said, I don't. Okay. He kept this word. And they were pretty nasty. Well, what they didn't tell me before I accepted that pastoral position, what they didn't tell me was that they had already called in an architect uh, who drew the plans for a new church building. A class cathedral. I showed later on they showed me all the plans they had already put into the drawer, which we were thinking to put into well reality. Once the pastor from America comes to our little town, well we we were living in the States at the time, and we had moved to, the German, to Germany just to take up that p- pastoral position. We were thinking, well, he comes from America, right? He knows exactly what Bill Hybels is, has been doing in his church in Villa, at Willow Creek in Chicago. As a matter of fact, the ch- whole church leadership, including the pastor, they were always going to the Bill Hybels conferences in Germany, and, and they put up a show five to ten thousand people were in attendance at at these conferences which Bill Hybels put up in Germany and it's nearly unheard of knowing the situation in Germany that is other success and yes they were going to to these uh, conferences and imbibing everything they heard buying all the books and then envisioning that they would build a glass cathedral with a nice tower and whatever else is necessary to bring the people into the church, right? And now they hired a pastor from America who had just arrived, and he he knows, right? He knows what we need to do to get the masses inside the building. Well, can you understand a little bit of the disappointment once I realized what kind of American passed away had hired. (laughs) Right? It was a big disappointment. Because I was not going along. Quite the opposite. I was opposing. Well, the way how they enticed me, how they got me in, was okay, here we have a List of priorities. You want the new pastor to fulfill. Our old pastor had only one message, and he preached that one message every Sunday for ten years. And we are so tired, so utterly bored, and tired of listening to that one message, which we hear every Sunday being preached for ten years. And the new pastor needs to know that. We don't want that to be continued. Number one, first priority, he needs to expound the word from cover to cover. Can you do this? Yes, I think I can. You are hired. <laughs> expound the word to us and don't talk about God's love every Sunday. And the, the a former pastor was still living there for a few weeks and he said, he came up to me. Yes, it's true. I have one weakness. I can't expand the word. I'm a pastor, right? Used to be a missionary. I just can't expand the word. And my only message is about the love of God. It's true. Well, I correct in, in telling you that story. So it was a very entire thing. Proposition. Expand the word. First priority. Yes, I'm coming. I'm ready. So I did. So I started um, <laughs> with some passage in the Bible. Actually, I started with who God is. Who is God? What did God reveal about himself in the scriptures? That's how I started. And there was a family just sitting in a front row. Family, a man was part of the leadership team. He was the son in law of that older man who's, who said he will make hell on earth for me, sitting in front row. And I started preaching. A few Sundays later, they sat in the second row. <laughs> and you probably know how we are. It was a. L- okay, you have to envision the, the cha- it was a chapel, a long, stretched, narrow chapel. <laughs> Lots of ropes. <laughs> And eventually we ended up on the last row. I'm not making this up. That is, that is the whole truth of the matter. We ended up on the last row. And when they realized they can't move further back, we stopped coming. Okay, Bill Creek. I was supposed to replicate what Bill Harbor did in, in the States. I said no. And all of a sudden, I, was, I, I had to resign. It was impossible to stay at the church. After 60 months, my ministry was over. And we had to move on. And the Lord was with us. I'm not saying it was, it was all negative. No. I learned very valuable lessons, which I would not have learned at any other way. Deny yourself. Don't look out for your own glory. Don't build your own little kingdom here. Right? Right? And God said, well, to make sure you get the message, I will put some other people in your close proximity who will take care of... But I'm not getting too hardy here. <laughs> Germans. You need to experience them once in a while. <laughs> well, special breeds. <laughs> they can be very nice. And a good example is sitting in front of me here. They can be very, very nice and very pleasant and hospitable and but, <laughs> okay, we are not getting Satan, uh, we are not snatching control away from Satan and pass it back to God. We are not. Basic strategy, how do I envision to do that? The Great Commission is being accomplished through certain overcomers who by yielding themselves to the authority of latter-day apostles and prophets will take control of the kingdoms of this world. These kingdoms are defined as the various social institutions such as the kingdom of education, the kingdom of science, the kingdom of the arts, and so on and so forth. Usually they have seven kingdoms or seven pillars. Sometimes they call them pillars, sometimes they call them mountains or Kingdoms most especially, there is the kingdom of... Yes. So, this is the Great Commission. And again, we are replicating certain things I already said, and we are deepening your understanding. We are telling more details about it. That's your task. This is what you need to do. You need to get busy. You need to become a politician or you need to become a a head educator at at the local university or you need to become a famous artist, usually musicians, right? You need to to get into the field of science and technology and this is actually what I did, not because I chose to do so, but I was teaching at a seminary for four years after I had left the, the church. And all of a sudden I was once again finding myself on the street without getting unemployment benefits, nothing of the sort. And I, still, I had a family to, to take care of, two, two, two small children. And no prospect to get any job because the, the president of that seminary went around to tell everyone in listening distance that they should not hire me. And he was just spreading our lies about me and things like that. So once again, a bit difficult situation for us. So I was preaching in a church, and once I was done with preaching, I felt at liberty to share some of our personal concerns with that congregation because I had preached that ch- church for a number of years, and they knew me, and I know them. I knew them, so I felt at liberty just to say, "Please pray for us." Don't have a jo- job, Bobby will not get a job anywhere, f- anywhere uh, anytime soon. And it's, it's a bit rough going right now for us. So I just stepped down and a man approached me. He said, I have a job for you. Do you want to become a senior scientist at the University Hospital of Basel? Senior scientist. I will hire you. I'm the head physician, the head cardiologist at the University Hospital of Basel. Basel is a large city in Switzerland. What do I have to do? <laughs> I'm a biologian, right? A historian. Well, you have to look into the ethics of nanotechnology. You have to write a scientific study on nanotechnology, looking at the ethics of it, because I'm also the head researcher in regards to nanomedicine. The application of nanotechnology in the field of medicine. And I cannot do everything. I'm a dedicated Christian. So I need to know the ethical aspects of it. What I should approve and what I should not support as a Christian. And I don't have the time to look into it. Would you take up that uh, task, that duty? And I will hire you. I said to him, well, This is the very first time I hear the term nanotechnology mentioned. I had had never heard that term before in my whole life. I don't know anything about it. (laughs) He said, oh, don't worry about it. Hardly anyone in the world knows about it anyway, so you're in good company. come to me in the afternoon, I will show you certain slides and presentations I, I gave in the past, and you can then decide if you want to take up the job or not. So that's what I did, and I listened through the presentation, and after he was done, I still didn't know much about nanotechnology. Do you want the job? Yes, I do. I said, yes, I do, because... I would have said, yes, I do, to just about any proposition <laughs> at that moment, <laughs> right? within reason. I needed a job, but I, f- I thought, I didn't know anything about it. What am I going to, to do? Now I d- I'm supposed to write an academic study and I have no clue. I don't know if you have been in such a situation before where you, where you feel ab- absolutely helpless, right? You don't really know what you need to do and how to do it. And yet you are asked to do something you feel totally uncomfortable with. Well, he said, okay, here's the idea. He believed me all to myself. I can do whatever I want to. The only stipulation, the only rule I have to follow is I have to do, I have to prescribe or describe whatever I describe or write about from a Christian perspective. At a secular state <laughs> university. Oh my. You can't understand that situation because I had I had studied theology at secular universities and and they are out to get you if you are a dedicated Christian. If they could they could they would cut off your head. And all of a sudden someone told me whatever I do has to be based on the Christian virtue this is a blessing in and of itself I don't know if you really can appreciate that but it is wonderful just start reading the books and then you will have to hand in a a thesis proposal and whatever you come up with I will agree to. If you have been in a higher academic, (laughs) once again, (laughs) this is not something uh, ordinary, normal. (laughs) Once again, the professors try to make life as difficult for you as possible. So, okay, I started reading, reading books, and all of a sudden, it didn't take me very long. All of a sudden, a light bulb went on in my head, and I thought, I know far more about nanotechnology than I ever would have imagined. I know the story, due to my previous studies. And I I can't go into the details why I had that uh, awareness all of a sudden, but I did. All of a sudden I realized behind nanotechnology is a religion. A religion has nothing to do necessarily with technology or science, it's a religion. And I'm very well capable of dealing with religions. Assessing a religious worldview based on my Christian understanding of Christianity. I can deal with religions. And the religion I thought was lurking or was looking me in the face doing that study on nanotechnology was alchemy. Alchemy. So I, I handed in my proposal to that head physician. I said, I think it's alchemy. He looked at me straight into the face and said, are you serious? We have left alchemy behind us in the Middle Ages. It cannot be. That's utterly impossible. I'm most skeptical in regards to that thesis. Are you sure you are uh, are you sure in regards to that thesis proposal? I said, I'm, I am as, as much as I can, I am sure. He said, okay, you have to give me proof. You have to substantiate that thesis before I will allow you to proceed. You have to give me evidence, right? I mean, that's, that's understandable. That's, that is uh, what needs to be done. Okay, um, what do I do now? <laughs> Okay, that was my general impression in regards to it, but I now have to, I had to produce the goods. And the goods had to be good. Now, all of a sudden, I received an email message from the University of South Carolina. Remember, I was living in Switzerland. University of South Carolina in Columbia, South Carolina. Asking me to write a scientific paper which they would publish in their academic journal on the ethics of nanomedicine. And the University of South Carolina is known for its department, which looks at the ethics of nanotechnology. About 40 professors and scientists engaged in that particular institute. And all of a sudden, they asked me to write a scientific paper, an essay, on nanotechnology bringing out the fact that behind nanotechnology is alchemy to the day I don't know why they picked me because I didn't tell anyone else apart from that one head physician that this was my understanding of it and I asked that head physician did you pass on my name to the University of self No, he didn't. So to the day, I do not know how they got a hold of my name, how they got a hold of my email address, and why they asked me, why they picked me. But, but, but they did. And there was one piece of evidence I put on the desk of that head physician. I said, look at this. Well, to again, to cut a long story short, he eventually he said, I'm utterly convinced. I was totally skeptical totally skeptical about it. Now I'm utterly convinced that my thesis proposal was correct. And eventually I ended up at the University of South Carolina. I gave my paper on nanotechnology being based on alchemy, being really a new religion in the making, taking its clues from very old religion, old pagan religion. Okay, the main thesis, if you don't know about alchemy, my main thesis of alchemy is humans getting together, putting their wits together to make themselves immortal by human ingenuity and technology making themselves immortal this is exactly what is behind nanotechnology so I was giving my paper my expectation was the whole room was filled with prophets and doctors and most of them atheists, of what I knew about them. My expectation was the rotten tomatoes would fly soon through, through the air. <laughs> and I have the dog and so on and so forth. Well, I was done and the whole room clapped. That taught me something in regards to the scientific community. Most of them know what they are doing, and most of them know they are engaged in a religious enterprise as scientists and technicians, a religious enterprise. Now I still needed to do my homework, my study in regards to alchemy and and how all these uh, pieces fit together. Okay, I was just starting out to do research and writing. At the very same conference, there were two men who were the organizers, and I had met both of them a few months earlier in private, in a private room. Uh, it was a restaurant, and I was speaking with both of them privately. Both of them claim to be Christians, dedicated Christians. But the more I listened to one of them, he was a professor of philosophy at the University of South Carolina. The more I listened to that one philosopher, the more I felt uneasy in regards to his Christian testimony. And once again I could give you uh, some hints why I felt that way. But I just try once again hit on the main notes only well a few months later, I appeared at that conference, gave my paper, and then I just wanted to listen to his presentation just to understand where he is coming from, what his perspective was in nanotechnology right I was thinking it's a religion, and it was confirmed now I wanted to listen to him to see if his Christian his his claim to be a Christian would be true. If it would be true, my expectation was that he would talk against nanotechnology, right? If it's a non-Christian religion, if you're truly dedicated to Christ, you would try to bring out the non-Christian aspects of it. Well, none of it happened. He was extremely infused, excited about nanotechnology. And the term he used repeatedly... And a term he also used as the main premise of his whole presentation was general systems theory. General systems theory. And I have to admit to you that I didn't know anything about it. I had no clue what general systems theory stood for. That was, again, the first time I ever heard that term before. I mentioned it in my presence. I didn't hear it before. So I thought it's very important in, in the whole, that term is very important in the whole topic of nanotechnology and my conclusion by just listening to that presentation was this is the theory which is being used in order to advance the religious components elements, aspects of nanotechnology. That was my conclusion but I needed to have more facts in regards to to a channel system sphere. What is it? What is it? So once I returned back to Switzerland, that is the first thing I did. I typed channel system into Google and pressed the enter button. And yes, the links came up right away. And then I looked at the top link. And it was utterly surprising. That was the last thing I had expected to appear on that list of links in regards to general systems theory. The first link was a link to Rick Warren's Settleback Church. And I thought, okay, there must be some connection to Rick Warren, right? Purpose driven life. Purpose of the Church, Peace Plan, and General Systems Theory. And it didn't take me very long to discover the, the truth behind that. And the truth behind that was that everything Greek Warren does is based on General Systems Theory. Everything. This means also that just about nothing is based on this book. All right. Just about nothing. The words he uses, the Christian words, the Christian vocabulary he uses are empty shells, hiding the true reality behind these empty shells. It n- has nothing. Let me repeat this it has nothing to do with Christianity. Nothing whatsoever. It has everything to do with general systems theory. Now you know you need to know what general system theory is right go to the encyclopedia Britannica for for one resource you can ha- use other resources but there's an article or several articles describing general system theory of a person who popularized that particular theory. His name is Ludwig von Bertalanffy. he is an aust he was an austrian uh I believe, sociologist. He, he has, has been dead for quite a while. So look, read the article on Ludwig von Bertolanffy or general systems theory, and there are some, some other terms you could use. For example, holism. <laughs> and obviously you should think back of what I said in the, in the other hour. So it's all linked together with holism, general systems theory. So fi- systems are in the, in the foreground building systems, and it didn't take me very long just to read these articles in the Encyclopedia Britannica to hit on the point that that theory, even though Dr. developed it further in the early part of the 20th century, that theory had its roots in the esoteric scene of Germany in the latter part of the 19th century. So it came straight off German esotericism or occultism, and Bedelemphe was very well aware of that fact. He promoted it. But what he did was, he used that particular information, esoteric information, and just uh, sugar-coated it with scientific terms. He didn't call it esotericism, he called it systems theory. And I would say as a means of, again, deception. right? So that you don't necessarily, once you get to read a little bit about channel systems theory, you do not know necessarily right away that it, it's really esotericism. Because you don't encounter the terms normally used within esoteric circles. Nonetheless, it's the same idea, or the same ideas are being promoted using scientific language to do so. And it's real. You can go to these articles. I can point you to these articles. It's not something I may make up. Okay? So having, having received that knowledge that, that general systems theory came straight out of the esoteric scene of Germany of the latter part of the 19th century, and knowing now that whatever Rig One does is based on general systems theory, Conclusion is really easy to make, right? Anyone can make that conclusion in regards to what is behind a purpose-driven life. Right? It is deception on on such a massive scale. And so many churches have bought into it. Uh, Forty days of purpose. How many churches have gone through that program, right? And how many millions of copies were sold of a Purpose-Driven Life? Well, uh, Rick Warren always claimed that his book was sold more has, more, has sold more copies than any other book apart from the Bible. I, don't, I, I doubt that this is true, but that was his claim. But... We do know that millions upon millions upon millions of copies were bought and, and read and devoured and, and followed through and put into practice. So it is real. It's not biblical truth. Just the very opposite. Just the very opposite of And God had to take me around the room <laughs> literally to discover that fact, right? Uh, I was not prepared to encounter that. I had no prior knowledge that this would be the outcome of my trip to South Carolina. I was just following one step after another and God led me into these different situations, right? Starting with getting fired at the seminary to put me onto that road to educate me first and foremost so that I could be a, a help to others eventually. Well, one, led, one thing led to the other. Now all of a sudden I knew what was behind Rick Warren. So I looked into it more deeply. I analyzed this book and, and tried to understand who mentored him. And the person who mentored him was Peter Trucker. Peter Trucker he was an Austrian, so his real name, or the correct German pronunciation of his name would be Peter Drucker, but he immigrated to England and then eventually ended up in the States. He became a very famous management consultant. He was hired by uh, General Motors, I believe by IBM as well, and some other large companies, and was consulting with the company management and h- trying to help these companies to come up with better methods of managing the, the company to make profit. Nothing bad about that, but the theory he used in order to consult or to pass on these, ma- these new management uh, concepts was, again, systems theory, right? Systems theory. And then he became a mentor of Rick Warren, as well as Bill Harbors, as well as a number of other uh, pastors who became famous in later years. Rick Warren claims that Peter Drucker was his mentor for 20 years. Now, once again, I I have my doubts that this is true. I, I have my doubts, and I could tell you why. But But let's just take it, at face value, let's just take it as, at, as, at face value what, Peter, uh, what Rick Vaughan said. Twenty years is a long time. Lots of opportunities to pass on information, right? To Rick Vaughan, information he used to set up his whole purpose-driven association and church and so on and so forth, the peace plan. What did he truly learn? Well, we know. We know what he learned, what he was taught by Peter Trucker. General Systems Theory. And we also know where General Systems Theory leads to. Now let me throw out that idea to you. I just noticed that the uh, hour is already over. But let me just throw out that, that idea to you and I will expound on it when we come back. Where does it lead to? What's the ultimate idea? What's the ultimate goal, objective in regards to the general system sphere, right? General systems sphere tries to unite. Build a system, right? And every single element needs to be part of the system. You're not allowed to be outside of the system. That's the whole point of it, for having a system. And a system works hierarchically, Usually. There's some power at one spot up at the top, percolating. Or uh, the power structure just goes through the whole system eventually, right? What's the idea in regards to the churches? How can this concept be applied to churches? Well, especially in the American context, the only way how this can be put into practice is by setting up a State church. We need a state church where every church is part of the state and under the control of the state. What is not allowed to have independent churches, this is not what is allowed. Independent churches are out. We need a state church structure or church state structure, a theocracy. This is what Rick Warren promotes, from morning, early morning till late at night. Do you know that? Do the pastors who have bought into his purpose-driven program here locally know that this is what they are promoting? They are promoting to, they are promoting a program which will put them out of business eventually as an independent church. This is what they are promoting. Are they really aware of that fact? that Eventually, if they go on, on that road, on that, uh, down that alley, the end point will be that they will be state employees. Because this is what a state church is. A pastor is a state employee. He gets his salary from the government. Do they know that? Well, I do not know. I don't know them. But I'm venturing to guess. I have no clue. I have no clue. And yet they are totally excited about promoting that program, right? To the bitter end, ultimately. I hope they will wake up one day before it's too late. Right? It can happen. God is a God of possibilities. There's always hope. Always hope. We are never hopeless if we, if we follow Christ, so no matter how bleak things look, God can change the situation around from one second to the next. He can give repentance, and we need repentance. We need to fall on our knees. We have to ask God to forgive us and help us to walk faithfully in regards to what He has given us in the Scriptures. But these pastors have no idea, and. Generally speaking, okay, I do not know them personally. Where the road ends. And it's not a destination they necessarily would like to be. But that's, that's where it's going. And yes, there is exciting music, and yes, uplifting messages, and so, quotation marks. Lots of excitement, lots of entertainment. And it's just to lull for people, to to engage their senses, so that they don't hear the underlying message, right? And they are carried along on that cloud seven, right? Carried along to a destination they don't know what it will be, and they would not like it if I would know, necessarily. Thank you very much. We still have two sessions to go.